Has progress on what they call inflation stalled? Well, we've seen consumer price measures rebound somewhat over the summer, but is that reflection of restarted consumer price pressures, labor market? Was it about GDP, the big, massive U.S. GDP figure for the third quarter? Some former officials are voicing concerns about reigniting inflation pressures. One of those, former Vice Chairman Richard Kalaida, who now resides at PIMCO, of course, where else do Fed officials go but Wall Street, he mentioned on Bloomberg just the other day that he's a little bit concerned here. Here's what he said. Progress on inflation has stalled since the summer, and we are not seeing labor market slack. The good news for the Fed is that expected inflation is pretty well anchored, which if inflation is well anchored and Richard Collida, maybe some of the federal officials are worried about consumer price pressures coming back. And where does the labor market really fit into all this? Because as Fed officials and economists and the financial media tell it, low, low unemployment rate, strong labor market, uh, inflation should be really booming here, but it, it actually has been slowing down. So we have to question whether or not there's actually a link to the labor market at all. Is the Fed just, are these Fed officials just making it up as they go? That's the sense that you kind of get. So let's bring in Mr. Stephen Van Meter. Steve, what do you make of Clarita's comments here saying, hey, you know, we don't see slack in the labor market. Maybe that's why consumer prices are going up again through the late summer. They think just because you have a job means that everything's okay. And that's not always the case. You know, one thing I love to look at is what I call total compensation. It's the average weekly hours multiplied by the average hourly earnings. And I like to do production and non-supervisor employees because I don't want, you know, the high-end executive. I don't want their pay. I want the rank-and-file, blue-collar American worker that's going out every day and spending money. And what these central bankers can't see is that total compensation growth has been below consumer price growth. So if the case is that the labor market is strong and robust because people have jobs, that's great. The problem is prices are rising faster than their wages are. So it doesn't matter that they have a job. The problem is they need another one just to be able to afford to live. And if they can't get that second job, then that means, as we know it, their discretionary spending gets cut. And lo and behold, with an absolute shock to every central banker alive today, Inflation comes down in that environment and they don't get it, Jeff. Well, that's the thing, Steve, right? Because consumer price pressures have been coming down since the middle of last year, which has caused a huge puzzle to the central bankers, to the economists and the financial media, because they they believe that, OK, the unemployment rate, the Phillips curve, right? The unemployment rate should be rising if consumer prices and consumer price increases are decelerating. But we haven't seen that. The unemployment rate has been relatively steady. In fact, a little bit lower in certain months compared to last year. So what he's saying is sort of like, well, forget about all that. Maybe this recent rise in consumer prices, that's about a tight and robust labor market, which we know that's, that's just utter crap because consumer price measures have been rising through the late summer, largely because of oil and energy prices. Blame Saudi Arabia, not the unemployment rate here. But you're right. The statistics that we have, especially for incomes, nominal incomes, have gotten incredibly weak throughout the summer. So as consumer as consumer price numbers go up because of energy prices and at least initially because of gasoline prices, that means Americans are falling further and further behind, which, as you were just saying, Steve, 
that is disinflationary for the future. So Clorida is worried about restarting and reignited inflation pressures when we see all of the ingredients for the exact opposite. And when we look around the macroeconomic landscape, outside of the recent consumer price, oh, even, you know, Steve, even, consider, even considering recent consumer price numbers, they aren't all, they're up all that much because apart from energy, as I was just saying, the rest of the numbers are getting even weaker, even more disinflationary. Jeff, I'm going to make a bold statement here. I'm surprised the inflation numbers aren't up more than they have been. And it's not just the energy part, because because that's an absolute important factor here. There's some other parts to this, is you have this all of a sudden big third quarter GDP number. But what was really driving it? If you start peeling back the onion, there's, of course, we have energy, but there's two other factors. Is we're seeing savings drops, and we know that consumers are tapping down their savings, and that doesn't go on forever. There, there's a hard limit, you know, when the savings account gets to a certain level that people say, no more, and I'm gonna cut my spending. But we've also seen a big jump back in revolving credit. Remember, it was about to go kind of negative, and then all of a sudden, it's almost like the banks raised everyone limits, and everyone was said, fine, I'm gonna charge and spend and charge and spend because they're all kind of believing. And this, this is what concerns me. It's like they're buying into the soft landing narrative, so they're out there spending, thinking their wages are gonna go up. But what people don't get, and this baffles me, Jeff, completely baffles me. They think companies have this unlimited amount of money to raise wages, and they don't understand. Wages go up because prices go up, not the other, generally not the other way around. And yet, if we don't have price growth, we're not going to have wage growth. And the spiral is like you keep saying, it's to the downside. It's disinflationary. And yes, so what if the unemployment rate isn't going the right direction? So what if initial claims aren't going the right direction? As long as demand continues to slide, it's only a matter of time before the labor market reacts. And when that happens, it's far too little, far too late for the central bankers because they'll be just staring at their screens, not knowing what to do as Americans hit the unemployment line. That's the point, right? I mean, why are why are compensation numbers becoming weaker and weaker? Why are nominal incomes becoming weaker and weaker? Because businesses are saying our business is becoming weaker and weaker. It's this self-reinforcing vicious cycle. As the economy slows down, businesses cut back, they start they stop hiring as many workers, they cut hours, they don't raise wages as much as they did. That has an impact on nominal incomes, which leads to consumers being a little bit more careful, it meets the other businesses being careful on their own spending and their own investments and a whole number of things. So as we see the nominal income numbers in particular become weaker and weaker, again, that's disinflationary, highly disinflationary. And when you peel back the effect of oil prices and gasoline prices on these consumer price numbers, you see, again, the opposite. You see disinflation getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, not just core CPI rates or the core PCE deflator, but some of the more economic related figures. And I'll give you an example. Um, just the other day, the Kansas City Fed's manufacturing PMI. And in the manufacturing PMI, it has two price components. One is the prices paid for raw materials, and the other is the prices see, received for finished goods that are sold in the marketplace. And the prices received, which are goods that are being sold in the marketplace, that one kind of rebounded a little bit in the summer, but not really all that much. And then it, it's rolled over into October. So prices received are essentially flat after falling a little bit. Meanwhile, prices paid for raw materials, that index for KC at least, 
That one turned negative for the first time since May of 2020. May of 2020. We're talking about early 2020 here. And that's not the only one. We see this more frequently around macroeconomic data, where where surveys and businesses and whatever the, the you know the underlying statistics are, they're saying more and more disinflation, even deflation cutting prices, not less, because again, it all comes back to nominal incomes. You know, Jeff, I'm glad you brought up that Kansas City data because we're seeing it not just in Kansas City, but along some other Fed regional surveys. We're starting to see it in the PMIs because some of these surveys are coming back saying, we anticipate hiring over the next six months. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're not going to hire anybody because here's the deal. If you're being squeezed at the margin, which is really simple here. Your costs are going up. What you're getting is going down. You're not hiring anybody because you're going to have to trim some of your staff to maintain your profit margins. And all this is telling us is demand is going down. We're seeing right in these surveys, and they're pretty accurate in terms of the timing of them. They're not lagged like a lot of the government data. We get a kind of a spot look over maybe a two-week period. So we're really seeing demand coming down here. And yet, for whatever reason, these manufacturing surveys are coming back with future optimism is up. And we think things are going to get better. It's like, well, you better hope they get better. Because if you keep getting squeezed at the margin, we know you're going to have to lay off. And once the layoffs really start to begin, there's really nothing, at least that I can see, that's going to stop them. What was concerning to me, Steve, was that in some of these PMIs that we've been getting and some of the forward-looking indicators, they weren't just talking about manufacturing price pressures. They're also talking about the services sector, too. And I'll give you an example. We saw, we saw the uh, S&P Global's composite PMI for the United States. That one was up a little bit in uh, October. But when it came to prices, they said inflationary pressures softened. Cost burdens rose at the slowest pace for three years with firms moderating hikes and selling prices at the same time. The rate of charge inflation eased to the weakest since June of 2020. There's another comparison. It was slower than the long-run series average. So even here in the U.S., the booming 5% GDP number, for some reason, businesses were telling S&P Global, both services and manufacturers, saying, we need to start thinking about lowering our prices here or reducing the price increases because they're responding to demand conditions. You know this, the every company in the world would raise prices as much as they possibly could if they believed they could get away with it, if they could get away with it. And for a while there in 2022, they could get away with it because everyone was still spending Uncle Sam's nickels. But what businesses are telling us when they say inflationary pressures have softened and the, the charge inflation is eased to the weakest since June of, 20, June of 2020, as you were just saying, Input costs are up. They would love, they would absolutely love to pass on those costs to you and me. But what they're saying is we can't. We, If we raise our prices too far, demand will go down even more than it has. So we have limited capacity to pass along these costs to everyone else, which means, as you just said, we have to look at cutting our own costs because we have no ability to, to we have no pricing power to pass these along. And there's a need, you know, they need to pass these higher prices on because we know a lot of this, particularly the services sector, Jeff, as you know, they, they kind of lag, you know, manufacturing tends to get raises quicker and services takes a little longer. So now they've kind of, you see in the services sector, okay, we've given out all these raises, our prices have gone up, 
And suddenly we're not able to sell for what we need. And that there lies a problem. Okay, so you've got all these employees and you put them to work. All right, well, we got some new orders over here. Go work on that. And those of you who aren't working on that, there's some backlogs over in the corner. Go work on that. And what did we see kind of out of Germany and France and kind of the Eurozone PMIs all of a sudden? And this was really interesting to me, Jeff, is hey, we've pretty much worked through the backlogs. And you and I said this, we've talked about it. As soon as the stuff in the back room gets cleared out, watch out because it was just last month there was optimism in, in the Eurozone about we're still going to hire and hiring, you know, trends are looking good. And all of a sudden this month, it was like, oh, wait a minute, uh, we're probably going to have to start laying off and not just a little bit. We're going to have to lay off a bunch of people because we don't have demand here. So we look at the services sector. They're desperate for higher prices to pass through. Absolutely desperate because at some point they just can't afford all of these people. We don't know when that date is. We don't know, but that's a huge tipping point for the economy. And of course, we can only imagine Fed Trump Powell getting up there, you know, next week talking about how robust the labor market is. And for all we know, in a matter of months, he's going to be saying just the opposite. Yeah, it was interesting in Europe because, again, S&P Global, they specifically mentioned and pointed out falling prices and sharply falling prices for manufacturers. Here's what they said. Despite some upward pressure on costs from higher oil prices, there's the upward marginal stuff there, the rate of inflation for goods and services moderated slightly in October down to its lowest level since February 2021. An ongoing sharp fall in manufacturing selling prices was accompanied by a moderation in service sector selling price inflation. So again, businesses would love to pass on these higher oil costs to you and me, but they can't. When it comes to manufacturers, because of the inventory cycle, they're having to discount their prices, which means, like you said, they're not going to be hiring workers at all. They're going to be, they're really going to start seriously thinking about cutting workers, which there is some strong indication that has already started. But again, it's not just manufacturing. We see the same disinflation, not quite deflation, but disinflation across service sector providers too. Not just in Europe, but more strongly in Europe because Europe, we're looking ahead at Europe in the United States. We're, Europe is ahead of us on this disinflation, deflationary recession path that we're all on, globally synchronized. And so Europe is ahead of us. But even so, we still see the same disinflationary trends in the U.S., even if oil prices have risen. But again, oil prices are up for non-economic reasons. What does that have to do with the state of the underlying economy? Well, it actually, it ruins the underlying economy because what do we know? Consumers got to pay rent, food, and energy, and then they get to spend on whatever's left, which we know that there's not a whole lot. So the fact is that energy prices have gone up artificially, which they always do, as we've talked about on your show in the past, Jeff, as you know, that during you know conflicts or wars or anything that gets anyone excited, there's all these headlines about oil prices surging. They go up for a bit, sometimes not even a bit. They just go up and then boom, they follow these economic fundamentals. So, but the problem, the issue here is it's just squeezing consumers at the wrong possible time. They really need some relief to keep spending. They need oil prices to come down. They need gasoline prices to come down. And if they don't, well, we already know what's going to happen. They're just going to stop using it, traveling, whatever it is they're doing, they're going to cut that back. And we should see that in the weekly inventory reports, which is why, of course, you and I love looking at that, because if we start to see gasoline inventories and distillate inventories build, even if crude oil inventories drop, it doesn't matter. If we still see product builds, watch out. That tells you American consumers, they're just completely tapped out. Yeah, with incomes as weak as they've been, regardless of the unemployment rate, it's... 
it really explains all of every, all the rest of the stuff, it's the, the disinflationary trend and everything, the weak recession po possibilities, everything else. Uh, it explains why businesses, they're not seeing, the, they don't see the demand. There's, they're cutting their prices. They can't pass prices along to everyone else. Steve, let's finish up with one final comment. Let's go back to Richard Clarida for just a second, because one of the other quotes that he came up with uh, that was in this, this interview on Bloomberg, he talked about how puzzled the Fed is likely to be, have, being a former Fed vice chairman, about how the rate hikes don't seem to be working the way they were supposed to, which is odd because these are the fastest, largest set of rate hikes in the Fed's history. You know all of the hyperbole surrounding them. And the Fed's sitting here thinking consumer prices are rebounding in the summertime. Why aren't these rate hikes working? And the language he used is one of the things I want to talk about here is uh, the article accompanying the, art, the uh, interview said, Clarida was quick to point out that the transmission of monetary policy through to the broader economy, and this is his term, is evolving. In other words, they thought the rate hikes would have had a clear impact on consumer prices by now in the economy. The unemployment rate should be 5% and consumer prices should be less than 2%. And they're not really sure why rate hikes don't seem to be having the impact that they thought that they would. You know, Jeff, it's funny. Christine Lagarde of the ECB said the same exact. I don't know if you saw it, but she said essentially the same thing. Yeah. Is, oh, the transmission mechanism seems to be a little wonky right now. We're not really sure, but we're pretty sure we're going to probably have to hike some more. And don't even ask me about cutting rates. That's completely off the table. I love it. Effectively, all he's saying is, look, all of our models, everything we know is not true. It doesn't mean anything. We're just hoping somehow in the end we look right before this whole thing blows apart. And maybe if we're lucky, we can cut rates a bit so we can look like heroes. He doesn't have a clue. The reason they're puzzled, Jeff, because I'm sure in all of their meetings, they're puzzled. Yeah, they have every, I mean, the it's, it's, it's uh, consumer prices are all about the labor market, but the labor market's strong and yet consumer prices were slowing, but consumer prices aren't slowing enough and they don't seem to be responding to rate hikes. And it's, it's really, they're just, they're covering their eyes and covering their ears and just hoping and praying that all just works out in exactly the right way, which, as we know from especially the two-year treasure and the two-year shots rate in Germany, does not look likely at all. Have you ever wondered what a euro dollar is and why it's so important? Check out the video link below me. I just did one recently talking all about what the euro dollar system is and where it came from. And if you know someone who might benefit from understanding the same thing, money and macro and all of these fundamentals, share the video with them. As always, thank you for joining me. Until next time, take care.